Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites Basics, the paediatric podcast aimed at healthcare students or anyone in need of a refresher about common paediatric conditions. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. Each week, medical students will be joining paediatric doctors from Wales to discuss these common paediatric conditions and give them insights into paediatric problems that they may not have faced before. These episodes are just introductions and aren't meant to replace your regular revision. Remember, there will be some regional variations in practice and practice will change as new evidence comes to light. However, this is paediatrics made easy to help students get their head around some new concepts. This week, we're going to continue our episode on bronchiolitis. Alex Richards, a medical student from Cardiff, was joined by Dr. Tommy Isaac, a paediatric registrar in Wales. The first half of this episode was released last week, so if you haven't listened to it, I strongly recommend going back to listen to that bit first. We're going to continue with the rest of the episode now. Anyway, let's get started. Okay, thank you. And then say kind of a diagnosis of bronchiolitis is made, what are the sort of next steps in terms of management for these Hmm. patients? So um, uh, I tend to uh, think about it in in terms of those two avenues, so the respiratory support and the, um, the feeding support. So you've got uh, a, a, a scale for all of them. So for the um, respiratory support, uh, you can go from not requiring support. So this, this is a child who's maintaining saturations with some chorizo and a little bit of work of breathing, but they're actually, they're not looking tired. They're maintaining sats. We don't need to support them in terms of their breathing. Then you've got children who have... Um, uh, hypoxia uh, and the way that you support them is to give them oxygen and you can give that either via nasal specs wafting oxygen or in some centers they use head box oxygen um, and then the next step up from that would be to think about whether they need some degree of pressure and this is the bit where we come into where there's some equipoise in terms of evidence so then Kind of next step up we tend to use on the wards is high flow oxygen um, and with that you're able to give um, greater flows more more quickly and that does have a certain amount of um, pressure effect as well it's uh, thought so in terms of maintaining that upper airway and distending the airways to help move um, air in and out but because it's become so widely used actually it's quite been quite hard in terms of RCTs to prove its efficacy compared to no um, uh, no uh, high flow because it, it's often included in the RCT protocols. So um, if you go looking for the evidence base, you, it's harder to find, but it's something everyone uses. Yeah. Um, then your next step up from high flow would be to go to CPAP, um, and that, that has a little bit more in terms of uh, distending pressure and and, um, uh, expiratory recruitment. Uh, And then after that, you're thinking about intubation and ventilation. Um, uh, And it's useful, depending on what uh, the clinical picture looks like, to sometimes explain those different interventions to parents. So, you know, if you've got a RSV bronchiolitis day one who's already needing CPAP, I think it's not unreasonable to explain to parents at that point that sometimes these children 
need to have a tube down and to have assistance in their breathing because it's better to have that talk about it when um, their child is relatively stable than when they're acutely deteriorating it needs to happen now. Um, yeah, definitely. So that's the breathing side of it. From the um, uh, eating and drinking side of things, um, you have got, uh, again, a kind of gradated approach. So you can start by um, just changing how the child feeds. So what we're thinking about is the um, aerobic uh, uh, stress of having to feed itself, so the, the energy and um, uh, oxygen required to feed, but also what happens when the stomach distends and splits the diaphragm. So you can give more feeds at little and often. That can be your first step, and sometimes that's enough. Then if you are not winning from that point of view, you can go up to doing feeds NG, so taking the need to actually for the child to do the feeding themselves out of it, but they still get that volume. Um, and we tend to reduce their volumes to enough to hydrate the child, but not what they would usually require for growth. Um, and some kind of ballpark numbers that are typically used are 100 mils per kilo um, for, for those. And is that just for NG? Yeah, that's for the NG. Um, and then you tend to go up to, um, uh, if that's not working, go to IV fluids. And that you calculate using your usual maintenance calculations. Okay, fab. Thank you. And then just a couple of questions about the respiratory support. Sure. I know the classic um, exam question answer is humidified um, high flow oxygen. Is What kind of is the significance of that? Is it all humidified? So the humidified uh, thing is that if you're with the high flow circuits, you're basically blasting through loads and loads of air and oxygen very quickly. Um, and, you know, if you think back to the last time that you had a, a, a snotty cold, you know, everything feels a bit dry. You've got all these secretions. And if you're not well hydrated, they're thicker and harder to move around. So if you are a little baby and you've got inflamed airways um, with a uh, mucus and things in your upper airway and lower airways and then we come along and blast through this lovely dry air that takes all of the moisture out of it you're going to one make that baby feel very uncomfortable and two make those secretions more thick and difficult to move around so that's why we humidify it so it's both for patient comfort and also for how we get those secretions to move fab thank you and is there any sort of way to follow up these patients at all um so they don't tend to need follow-up, the children with bronchiolitis. Um, they tend to um, uh, be children who are typically well, have a one-off um, uh, uh, episode of bronchiolitis, get better and then don't represent. There are those children who have um, increased risk in terms of their lungs that we talk about, the ex preterms, but they're uh, already under um, neonates or our cardiology babies are all under cardiology. Um, it's it's not follow-up, but it probably is worth talking about there. There are um, uh, vaccinations that you can give to RSV bronchiolitis, um, which is a, a MAB, so it doesn't last more than one season. But for our at-risk children, they tend to have those um, over the winter months. Okay. And is that the kind of heart disease and immunosuppressed children? Yes, basically. Fab. That was really useful. Thank you, Tommy. Oh, that's all right. Um, 
you know, it, it's one of these things that probably we haven't seen so much of in the, the last year or so um, because of social distancing and the effect that's had on viral illnesses. But normally bronchiolitis is the bread and butter of pediatric practice and clinical exams. Um, so, you know, it's always one a good one to read up around and be comfortable with because no matter which uh, kind of specialty you go to, if you're dealing with front door pediatrics, GP, A&E, you're going to be seeing bronchiolitis and being able to quickly sift through the ones who are unwell and need to come into hospital or who are okay and can be managed at home is a really useful skill. Yeah, definitely. And just to quickly summarise a couple of key points to let me know if I've kind of missed anything. So bronchiolitis is a respiratory viral infection normally due to RSV. Mm -hmm. Um, The risk factors kind of children less than one years old, ex-prem babies, and then you've got to think about kind of heart disease and immunosuppressed children. Um, There's not really any sort of investigations to help with the diagnosis. However, some people might like to think about gases later down the line. Um, And then management is respiratory support and feeding support. And there is a certain criteria that we use for um, admitting these babies to hospital mm-hmm. um, and then there's not really any sort of follow-up um, for these patients not like. particularly no no um, and I suppose, I suppose part of that management summary the other thing to say is that there there isn't any other um, intervention apart from supportive care that we have for bronchiolitis so don't give these children salbutamol don't give these children um, steroids uh, because it doesn't work um, uh, and there's often a temptation uh, to do that because it's what we use for our slightly older preschool wheeze cohort um, and it's been something that has been investigated but unfortunately there isn't any evidence for. Fab so it's just respiratory support and feeding support. Exactly. Lovely that was very useful thank you. No problem at all. I'll see you soon. All right bye now. Bye. <laughs> And I wanted to say thank you to Alex and Tommy for recording that episode for us. Hopefully that's helped all of you get your head around bronchiolitis if you've not come across this medical condition before. That's all for this week. Join us again next week for another episode of Dragon Bites Basics.